So this isn't gonna take long, is it? Oh, no, no, no. In and out. <laughs> I made sure of that. And you'll be happy to know I perused the script and it's met with my approval. Yeah, I'm sure it's fine. Hey! Hey, watch it! Did you see that guy? He just gave me the finger! You, you sure? Oh, yeah! Middle finger straight up at me! At us! What are you doing? I'm following him. Take care of this, Danny? I believe you cut me off and then made an obscene gesture. I did? Where? Outside of Manhattan about an hour ago. <laughs> Is that Danny Tartable? That's right. Of the New York Yankees. Wow, I'd like to shake his hand, but I can't. <laughs> Welcome to the 61st episode of Breaking Bell. That clip, of course, was from the Seinfeld episode in which George, along with Yankee uh, Danny Tartable in the car with him, follows a guy for an hour thinking he was giving him the finger. And, well, you know how it turns out. Uh, the guy just had a giant cast around his finger, sort of the way I do right now. Uh, I think I'm going to claim, Eric, my newly stubby finger as a disability. Uh, so I can get me one of those uh, fancy handicapped parking badges like we have for my son. Only this one will be for me. It'll have a picture of a big middle finger on it in a bandage. <laughs> Doesn't that work? Instead of the kid in a wheelchair? That's what they have. In, that's my other one has a kid in a wheelchair, but this one right. will have a big middle finger and a bandage. Yeah, the picture definitely next needs to accurately represent what the, <laughs> what the handicap is. Exactly right. Exactly. Yeah. Do you think uh, uh, you or anyone in your family, Erica, c- could pull off a semi-disability? They could reasonably leverage for handicap status, handicap parking status? <laughs> Um, well, I have a bad back. Uh, I have this uh, uh, scoliosis thing going okay. on. All right. So that's, Still? Uh, oh, yeah. It's, uh, I'm, really? Physical therapy did next to nothing. I'm, I'm still really? a mess. I'm, uh, I haven't really had a, a, a quality exercise session uh, in like five months. Wow. Um, are you getting all fat? No. You know no. me. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting, worked on five I'm months. Getting, you getting any weight? No, I lost three pounds. <laughs> I'm getting softer. I've lost tone, but I haven't really uh, gained weight because you know I'm eating the uh, pescatarian diet. That helps. Okay. Yeah, and I'm a vegetarian, and I'm uh, wow, this cake looks good. There's any no meat in this cake? It's mine. <laughs> yes, I guess meat isn't the only thing that one can eat to to put on weight, as it turns yes, exactly. out. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> no meat cake. Okay. Good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in any case, if I if I start exaggerating how hunched over I am, I could certainly uh, get away with the handicap spot. I think. You think so? Okay. Well, we should all uh, be able to claim a disability now and again to get a good parking spot. Right. Parking in this slot here. For the handicapped. I am handicapped. I'm psychotic. So uh, back to 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 the middle finger thing. Uh, besides the uh, the bandage. Uh, any other update uh, on the, how the circumcision went? <laughs> uh, it took away most of my feeling in the uh, in the appendage. Uh, can't I can't I won't be able to finger bang like I used to. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> my wife was thrilled about that, by the way. Right? Yeah, you lost some finger banging depth. <laughs> exactly right. It'll be like being fingered by a whole new person. 
<laughs> well, speaking <laughs> well, speaking of the feeling of a of a whole new person, have you had your first uh, new hand jerk yet? I guess not with the cast on. There's not a lot you can oh, do yet, yet. But I'm looking I'm looking forward to it. Okay. Um. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't tried to just just rub it with the cast. <laughs> I haven't, but none of that that sounds kind of hot. By the way, I'm getting kind of. <laughs> do we need to take a break from the podcast? You need to rejoin it in a couple of minutes. We might a couple of minutes. I'm 53, motherfucker. I'll be back in an hour. <laughs> I wasn't sure which direction you were going yeah, there, whether it was going to be an hour, whether it was a couple seconds. I wasn't sure which which direction I was off. Depends on the day of the week. Gotcha. <laughs> but yeah, I'm looking forward to that. It'll be interesting. It'll be messy in here, but uh, it'll be interesting. <laughs> okay. Uh, meanwhile, a uh, little commentary on Danny Tartable. Uh, to some, he's uh, remembered as a pretty good player for a few different teams in the late 80s and early 90s. To others, he's remembered for appearing as himself on Seinfeld, of course. But to Phillies fans, he'll always be the worst free agent bust in franchise history. Uh, the Phillies signed him for the 1997 season. He had hit 27 homers the year before. He was supposed to be their new superstar cleanup hitter. And in his first at-bat of the season, he fouled a ball off his foot and broke the foot. Uh, great. He played He played through it for three games, not realizing it was broken. Uh, he went 0 for 7 in those three games. Then he went on the disabled list. Then he retired and never played again. Really? So that was his wow. Phillies career. Three games, 0 for 7, broken foot. And uh, yeah, well, makes him one of the greatest Phillies ever. <laughs> nice. I wouldn't. I know him only from this episode of Seinfeld. You would never have heard of him otherwise, huh? Nope. Absolutely not. Yeah. Eh, not, a, not a big sports fan, that Bill Detloff. I guess. I don't know. All right. Uh, well, here's something that you uh, that you are good at. This that's not that was a weak transition, but I'm going to go with it anyway. Um, you nailed a prediction a couple of weeks ago, Bill. Um, I got uh, I talked about how I got porked on my plans to yep. uh, to write a, a Breaking Bad episode ranking article, uh, yep. and you predicted someone else was going to write one instead, and sure enough. Yep. Yep. Thrillist.com ran a list last week written by Jennifer M. Wood. Uh, thanks to one of our listeners for calling it to my attention. I forget who it was, and I'm not scrolling that far down my Twitter mentions to find it. But thank you to whoever you are. You, you know who you are. Uh, weird weird timing for the list. Uh, three weeks after the fifth yeah. anniversary of the finale airing. That means you the... weren't going to do it, and somebody heard you were pitching it. <laughs> That's and it, probably, and probably what involved happened. with this other website, and somebody's nephew was running it and said, hey, here's an idea for your website. Here you go. Not impossible. Um, oh. They they sort of claimed it was connected to this year being the 10th anniversary of Breaking Bad uh-huh. starting, but they're about nine months late for that. Um, right. But all that said, uh, I will I will say uh, Jennifer Wood's list is a whole lot less shitty than that Entertainment Weekly list. Um, I have no major gripes with her list, only minor gripes. Uh, Sunset uh, is too low at number 32. That's one of your two A pluses so far. Uh, and, and I'd have it around number 10 or so. Uh, that's the one, uh, where Hank Frank has Walt and Jesse cornered inside of the old RV. Um, and, uh, Mandala, which is a top five, maybe top three episode for me. That's the one where we meet Gus Fring for the first time. And Jesse tries heroin and the baby's coming. Uh, she has that all the way down at number 30. Uh, but her list is mostly pretty good. She has uh, confessions at number 12, not number 40-something like that shitty EW list. And her top five goes Salud 5, Face Off 4, Tohajali 3, Crawl Space 2, and Ozymandias 1. All of those are in my top 12 or so. Um, and uh, And she has the only episode you haven't seen yet, Bill, the finale. Just outside that top five at number six, for what that's worth. Anyway, 
kudos to you, Bill, for correctly anticipating how the world works. Yep, that's the way. You just have to have, take the most cynical point of view, and you'll be proven right eventually. Right. Just have to be patient. Just have to be patient. <laughs> Could just be coincidence. No, that's never a Probably not. I have nope. to at least hope that Thrillist doesn't pay well. It I would... suspect they don't. <laughs> yeah, from, from the looks of the site, probably not. Yeah, so probably yeah. Not. So if she only got a couple hundred bucks for it or something, then I guess uh, I can't be too upset. Hey, a couple hundred bucks is a couple hundred bucks. Yeah, but the the amount of writing that she true. Yeah. put into it. I Let's true. put it this way. I would not have written that for a couple hundred bucks. Okay. So anyway. Uh, let's get to the usual Excuse business. me, Mr. One Percenter. Holy shit. Raskin, <laughs> <laughs> the one percenter. A couple hundred bucks plus a can of cat food, maybe. It's all uh, it's go. all now in the talking. negotiation. Yeah. Now we're talking. And a and a hand job with a with a with a rough bandage. <laughs> from a now from we're a, talking. From a lady? <laughs> no, from a fifty three year old dude. No. I'm out. Circumcised finger. <laughs> not not taking that deal, sorry. All right, so I was trying to get to the usual business. Breaking Bill Podcast <laughs> at Yahoo.com, at Breaking Bill Pod on Twitter, Breaking Bill Podcast on Facebook, iTunes, Apple Podcast app, Patreon.com slash Breaking Bill Podcast, $2, Cat Food, Skinny Beaver, Preconditions, Stumpy Finger, Richard Abril. Uh, and on a serious housekeeping note, for those of you who do support us on Patreon, here's how the timing is looking. Uh, our episode on the Breaking Bad finale will post around October 29th or 30th. So to access the bonus episode for that, you need to pay pay for Patreon through the end of October. Uh, and if you don't mind, actually wait until like November 2nd or so to cancel your payments. We want to make sure the October payments go through. But then after that, feel free to cancel so you don't get charged for November. And we will do a final bonus app that we'll post to Patreon around November 5th or 6th, but we won't put it behind the paywall. We'll make it free. No sense making people pay for a whole month just to access one bonus episode. So that's our gift to you. There you go. That's very generous of us, I think. Don't you think? <laughs> I wouldn't say very. <laughs> just say yes. Holy shit. <laughs> it's, it's moderately generous. Okay. All right. All that said, if you haven't paid by now, uh, you're not going to. Okay. No. Um, however, in the name of all things that are holy, if you're not going to pay us, take the money you weren't going to give us and give it to a progressive politician running for election or re-election in your state there you go. Or, or even one who's not in your state but in a tight race in an important state. Like give it to Beto O'Rourke in Texas, for example. Mm-hmm. Okay, November 6th is coming up awful fast, people, and it's going to be either a nightmare or a fucking party. And I don't know which one yet. You know, People keep talking like, you know, things are going to go well for the left, but we don't fucking know. We don't fucking know. So if right. you couldn't find it in your heart to throw us a couple bucks, uh, do it. Do something really important with it. And don't give it to any cancer kids or uh, funds for stubby finger repair. Uh, <laughs> and give it to a, a politician who uh, who you believe in and who opposes Trump and all his all his uh, policies. Uh, we'll take that in exchange. Yeah. All right, I'm 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 down with that. Um, and it it occurs to me, uh, I hadn't even thought about this, but that our our final episode, uh, the the bonus, uh, last bonus podcast, we will be recording like two nights before the election, which I think is a good thing. I don't in case things go badly yeah. on November sixth, I don't want to have to do a podcast after that. Yeah, I agree. It's going to be unpleasant for for all involved. So. Yep, agreed. All right, and with that. Let's discuss Breaking Bad, Season 5B, Episode 7, also known as Season 5, Episode 15, Granite State. <laughs> 
This was written and directed by Peter Gould, the co-showrunner of Better Call Saul. This was his 11th and final Breaking Bad episode as a writer, and his second and final as a director. The only episode he directed before this was season four's Problem Dog. This episode originally aired on September 22nd, 2013, the same night as the Emmys aired. So while the second to last episode of Breaking Bad was airing on AMC on one of the main broadcast networks, season 5A of Breaking Bad was being named Best Drama Series, and Anna Gunn was winning the first of her two Emmys for the show. This episode was seen by an audience of 6.58 million U.S. viewers, a new high. In our teaser, we pick up where the previous episode left off, we think, uh, with the disappearer's red van pulling into the driveway of a store with the sign, Best Quality Vacuum. We see veteran character actor Robert Forster. Uh, Is he an actor who uh, was familiar looking to you? There was something vaguely familiar about him, but not anything concrete. Okay. Um, I pretty much only knew him before this for Jackie Brown, uh, the Tarantino movie. He had uh, sort of the male lead in that. Uh, But he apparently was somewhat famous back in the 70s. Okay. So he was one of the many sort of Tarantino uh, kickstarting an actor's comeback, uh, as as Tarantino tends to do. Uh, And a fun fact, according to the Internet, when he was struggling as a young actor, Robert Forster apparently had a job as a vacuum cleaner salesman. There you go. Uh, Anyway, the Disappearer, uh, we never hear his name on the show, but in the script, apparently it was Ed. So I'm going to call him Ed just because it makes it a lot easier. Uh, Ed says, you can come on out and we have a little subversion of expectations. We assume Walt is in the van, but instead Saul comes out with a couple of suitcases. Uh, He's surprised that the guy actually runs a vacuum repair shop. Yep. Uh, Ed takes Saul's picture to make his fake ID. Saul sort of fixes up his hair. Ed says he'll Photoshop out the Band-Aid on Saul's nose. Saul sees a Nebraska driver's license template on the computer and asks, what's in Nebraska? And Ed says, you, from now on. Ed has a basement room that Saul can stay in until he gets his new life set up, and he tells Saul he's going to have a bunkmate. Saul says, oh yeah, he's still here? <laughs> and, Ed, and Ed says he's a special case, going to take some doing. Ed flips on his surveillance monitor <laughs> And Saul sees Walt in the basement pacing around and angrily swatting at a hanging lamp and title card. Um, I like the subversion of expectations at the beginning. Yep. Yep. Uh, I like the start of the glimpse that we will get all episode at how a disappearer's business operates. Yep. Not an all-time great teaser by any means, but a really good way to draw us into the episode, in my opinion. Thoughts? Yeah, I also liked that we were uh, supposed to expect Walt to be there. And it turned out to be Saul. I liked uh, the extended period of time uh, Saul took worrying about how his hair looked. That was fun. Mm -hmm. And and, uh, Ed's helping him out and helping to brush it out of his face. Uh, I also liked the the line you didn't include before they see Walt angrily smacking uh, the ceiling lamp. Uh, Saul asks him how he's doing or what's his frame of mind like or something. And Ed says, you tell me. Hmm. And he, that, that's when they see him storming around, stomping his feet, smacking shit. So that was pretty fun. I thought that as uh, as dark as it is, it is dark. Uh, it was kind of funny, too. So I enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, and I can tell you now what the scene from Better Call Saul was that I that I was going to discuss last week and then realized it would have been a bit of a spoiler for this opening of this episode here. Um, but it, now you can basically assume uh, what it was, that it's Saul and Francesca back in Saul's office uh, uh, okay. as as he's 
panicking and packing up and having her shred documents. And he like cuts out a hole in the wall behind his desk where the big like fake constitution is on the wall. <laughs> he like cuts out a hole where he's got some uh, some box hidden back there that we don't see exactly what's in the box, but something that he puts in his suitcase. And so it, it's just this this that scene of Saul as the shit's hitting the fan, uh, you know, during the same time frame as as Ozymandias on his way to the disappearers. We got to see that scene as a gotcha. teaser on Better Call Saul. OK, after the title card, we open on Marie's sad face. She's in the car with Hank's boss. He's promising her they'll find Hank and Gomi. And when they get to Marie's house, there are scattered papers everywhere. The two agents go in with guns drawn while the car takes Marie away. There's been a break-in, and we start hearing Jesse's voice on the tape that Hank made telling the story of murdering Gail, and we then see that the Nazis are watching it. So I'll stop here just quickly before we get deeper into the Nazis and the tape. Anything to say just about the the break-in? No, not really. I was confused for a second as to why uh, the house would be broken into, not necessarily by whom, because we know who the villains are at this point, at this stage in this saga. But it made sense once we heard the uh, once we heard uh, Jesse on the DVD. Yeah, and they kind of alluded to it last episode with Je- after Jesse is beaten up by Todd when Todd, he thinks Todd's coming up to beat him up some more and he's saying something to the effect oh, yeah, of, yeah, yeah. I yeah. told you where, I, I forget if he spells out that it's yeah, the tape, yeah. but you know, I told you where it is at his house, right, whatever. Right. So yeah. Um, okay. So uh, we talked back when Hank made the tape with Jesse, we wondered if Jesse told him everything. Right. And now we can surmise he did. If he told him yep. about shooting Gail, he yep. obviously wasn't protecting himself and holding anything back. Uh, yep. So the Nazis are drinking beers, having a laugh, calling Jesse a pussy. Jack asks if Jesse cries through the whole thing. What, are you going to cry now? Come on, cry, baby, cry for me. Come on, cry. Then Kenny fast forwards to Jesse talking about the train heist and Todd, that opie dead-eyed piece of shit, killing Drew Sharp. Yep. Yep. Um, and of course, that's the detail that Todd left out when he told the story to uh, to his uncle. Uh, mm-hmm. But But Todd is smiling. He looks proud. And Uncle Jack wants to go kill Jesse for ratting Todd out. But Todd wants to keep him around to cook. Uh, and Jack says, who cares about meth? They've got all the money in the world, uh, which is consistent, I guess, with his willingness to give up $11 million to Walt in the previous episode. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Todd, yeah right. Todd goes the other way, uh, that you don't turn your back on millions of dollars more. And Jack gives him a loving headlock and says Todd just wants to make meth because he has a crush on Lydia. Uh, Kenny makes the vagina symbol with his hand. Uh, some, something uh, I think you can still do with a stubby middle finger, right, Bill? <laughs> it shouldn't impede your ability to make the vagina symbol. I haven't tried it, but I'll, I'll, I will when I'm uh, unencumbered and let you know. <laughs> okay, good. I'm glad you used the word unencumbered because that's coming up later yep, in the episode. Yep, but yep. Uh, All right, so Jack says... Todd could do better. She's so uptight. She's got a wood chipper for a coochie. Uh, Todd is not amused. And Jack concedes the heart wants what the heart wants. And they go inside to watch more of the Crybaby Jesse show. Uh, (laughs) And then we get a quick look at beat up Jesse under a tarp in the pit, holding the picture of Andrea and Brock. And he takes off the paperclip and starts trying to pick his handcuffs with it. So uh, comments on all of this stuff. Okay. A couple things. Uh, Number one, you mentioned Gail. And I want to point out that, um, through no desire of my own, I happened to be watching the Murphy Brown reboot Ooh. <laughs> last week. Oh, my God. It's so awful. You were, you were in the room as an innocent victim while your wife I, was watching is what you're yeah, saying. 
As I explained to you on an email recently, I think my finger only has so many uh, keystrokes in it before it starts hurting. So there's not a lot of right. work I can do. I got to right. do on spurts. Okay. And uh, so I happened to be in the living room and this garbage was on and it's just terrible. It's just so awful. It's just terrible. I don't, I don't remember enough about the original Murphy Brown to know whether it was like that also, but it's just terrible. Okay. And the character who played Gail was on. Oh, really? Ron Murphy Brown, yes. Huh, okay. He plays like a Steve Bannon or Donald Trump type or like a um, – who's that other fat bastard, the radio guy? Oh, uh, Limbaugh? Yeah, he plays him. He plays essentially him. Okay. Okay. So that was interesting, seeing him in that, uh, does in that it, role. Does it appear that he's a, he's a recurring character? It wasn't just like a one-episode no, no, no. thing? It was, I'm sure it's a one-episode thing. Oh, game. okay. All right. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Um, so he was a pretty convincing scumbag, so good for him. Okay. Um, and so my other remark about this is um, right after uh, Jack says to Todd, would you repeat the line about the wood chipper? I don't have the exact wording in front of me, but he says that she's so uptight she's got a wood chipper for a coochie. Or right, maybe he says yeah. Maybe he says probably uh, something okay, like right. that. Yeah. yeah, that's the line I'm talking about. So okay. he says that, and then he says, stick it in there and you'll pull back a stump. Oh, right. That's what, that's what the next line is. <laughs> right, right. And... As a new member of a group I've named uh, Stumpy Men of America, I'm <laughs> yeah. hard, highly offended at his, uh, that pejorative that uh, he uses there. The people who have stumps um, don't like to be referred to that way, in that negative way. So uh, I have to write uh, Vince Gilligan and the rest of the staff here and uh, voice my complaints about him using the word stump in a, with a negative connotation like that. Okay. I'm a proud, stumpy American. <laughs> right. I, like, And part of me wants to say, oh, come on, you shouldn't be offensive or offended by that. But, you know, I don't know. It's I, I can't you tell don't you have what stump, to be offended by. Right. Exactly right. I will say. If you have I, a stump, then you can say. I do I do wonder what the definition is of a stump, like how short it ha- how shortened something has to be to qualify as a stump. A I question. wonder if just losing the one knuckle up really, really qualifies you for stump status. I'm sure I, I'm pretty certain it does, or I wouldn't have, like I said, submitted for that handicap uh, placard. <laughs> and if they reject me, <laughs> they're going to get a, a clear picture of my stump at full mast. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly qualifies. One, uh, I guess it's like probably a, like a, a fourth, not a, maybe a fifth, one fifth of the finger is gone. Certainly qualifies as a stump in my in my uh, point of view. Hmm. I don't know. I'm I'm. I want to look into this further, but my gut reaction is that anything above half, uh, it 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 counts as a, a disfigurement, perhaps, but not a full not on a stump. stump. Because, like, when you think of a tree stump, if if they just chopped off like the top twenty percent of a tree, you certainly wouldn't call that a tree stump, I would, would you? Certainly, you would. If a tree was still like forty feet tall and it just lost a little bit at the top, not well, define a little bit. Twenty <laughs> percent. <laughs> That's a stump. <laughs> I think, I don't know, when I'm picturing a tree, a tree stump is like we're down to like 2 or 3% of the original height of the tree. It's a stump. You're uh, impinging <laughs> on my rights as a stumpy American. All right, all right. I'll, I'll back, I'll back off. You're the expert Please. here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so next, we cut to Ed on the phone talking vacuum cleaner parts, uh, and we pan down underground, a similar shot to when the drug dog was sniffing around the laundry, and we panned underground to see Jesse and Black Vic in the lab. Mm -hmm. Um, 
here it's Walt and Saul in the basement. And an important little detail here, Saul is wearing a white shirt. Uh, we've always seen him in colorful shirts and suits. Uh. Now he's in plain white. All the color is gone from this character. The, the Saulness has been removed. Um, there you go. I'm sure this was an intentional choice from the wardrobe department. Yeah. Um, anyway, Walt is still scheming. He wants Saul to give him a list of mercenaries. Saul says, I'm going to hate myself for asking, but who are we hitting? And Walt says Jack and the Nazis who murdered Hank and stole his, quote, life's work. Saul isn't on the same page as Walt, offers him a nickel's worth of advice, says Walt should stick around and face the music. Walt says his phone call exonerated Skyler, and Saul gives him kudos, Detloff style, uh, for the phone call. Says it might buy her a mistrial, but in the meantime... If they don't have Walt, they'll go after Skyler. They'll Rico him out of the house, freeze the bank accounts. She's unhirable. Walt won't be able to get her the money. Saul reminds him how Mike kept getting his nest egg taken away. Yep. He says if Walt turns himself in, maybe his family gets to stay in the house. Walt insists nothing has changed. What I do, I do for my family. He's determined to get all $80 million to his kids and kill Jack and his crew. Ed comes down and interrupts, says it's time for Saul to go. Walt will still be a little longer. And Walt says that Saul is coming with him. Saul is all, fuck that. Uh, Ed says he'll give them a minute to sort it out. Saul says, I can't help you. I'm not a lawyer anymore. I'm just a douchebag with a job and three pairs of dockers. Cotton dockers! Uh, if he's lucky, he'll be managing a Cinnabon in Omaha. Here's what a Cinnabon is. Let me explain to you. It's a six-foot-high <laughs> cinnamon swirl cake made for one sad fat man <laughs> even if you if you have a vagina you're a man if you're eating a cinnamon in that moment you're a man it's a sticky hot bun and it comes with a little tub of jizzy hot syrup <laughs> it's hot cum there's no way that's not hot cum and walt does his intimidating thing it's mm -hmm. not over until but then a coughing fit kicks in, and he can't finish the sentence, and Saul says, it's over. It's over, Johnny. It's over! Nothing is over! Nothing! Saul grabs his bags and leaves, while Walt just looks pathetic. Uh, great scripting there. Uh, Walt's trying to be Heisenberg, but the cancer yep. puts him in his place. What did you think? Yeah, that's an interesting observation, and um, it really drove home that, guess what, fucker? It is over. Yep. And... and it almost is, right? We see that uh, Walt is trying to, uh, like you said, summon Heisenberg there and get all badass again. Uh, but then uh, cancer steps in and, and uh, cleans that shit right out. Um, still, though, I thought um, Cranston's acting here was a little, a little overwrought, or maybe it was the writing. Hmm. I felt like the writers needed one more time to hear him say, for the for the audience to hear him say, I did this all for my family and my children. There was something a little contrived about that little speech that he did, uh, about it being all for his children, and, and nothing has changed in that respect. Okay. It seemed a little out of place and a little contrived, and I don't, and or, or maybe it was his delivery. I think maybe it was both. Okay. And it probably seemed that way. His delivery seemed that way because the speech itself was out of place. It just, it seemed unnecessary in that spot. Um, so I wasn't crazy about that particular part of the scene, but the scene as a whole is just excellent. Okay. Yeah, that hadn't really occurred to me, and of course, at the end of the episode we'll get back to a much more sort of uh, sad and emotional version of him uh, insisting 
he's doing it for mm-hmm. his family and it's all to get get the money to his family. So when we get to that, I guess we'll see whether uh, whether that played entirely differently for you. Um, but yeah, I, I just think it's a it's a really fun scene uh, that, that there's just something about the the dynamic between these two and and Walt thinking that uh, that that Saul's still with him and they're just going to keep doing their thing and nothing has right. changed and Saul right. has base has completely given up and he is just ready to start his new new life at the Cinnabon in Omaha. Yep. Um, and I have to say, I forgot how much uh, pre-New Hampshire there is in this episode. Um, you know, I, I remembered that there was a Walt Saul scene. I remembered the Jesse Andrea plot line, which we'll have a lot more to say about that. But in my mind, this episode was like 70% set in New Hampshire. Sort, huh, of, sort of like how, if you remember when we did the Gus Mexico flashback episode, that yeah. I sort of remembered that being mostly Gus in Mexico, when in fact that was only like the final 15 minutes of it. Um, right, it right. In my mind, this was the New Hampshire episode, but really uh, less than half of it is, uh, is set in New Hampshire. But anyway. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, so we cut to Skyler zoning out as the DEA reads her the riot act. They're going to fuck her life up as best they can unless she gives them Walt. They ask where Walt is. She says she doesn't know. I don't know. This all confirms what Saul just told Walt about him needing to give himself up if he wants to make it better for her. Anything to say about this before we go to the scene with Skyler back at the house? No, very short scene. And and the guy who's interrogating her is perfectly cast uh, as a dick. Didn't right. you mention that he might actually be a dick in real life? <laughs> an actual penis? <laughs> and like an actual cop or something? Or you, maybe that you were talking guy? about somebody else. Yeah, yeah, it must have been somebody else. Because I think okay. that, I, f- I feel like that guy who was grilling her was someone we hadn't seen before. Although the, okay. the guy sitting next Wasn't to him. Wasn't that Hank do- Frank's boss? The guy sitting next to him was Hank Frank's boss. Oh, okay. Um, but the, the main guy giving her, giving her shit, I don't know who exactly he was supposed to be. And I don't think we'd seen him before, but anyway. Okay. Well, he was very con- convincing as a dick. Okay. Very so convincing. probably a dick in real life then. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> All right. Uh, Nobody's so- that good an actor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, you might be surprised. All right, so it's nighttime. There are DEA surveillance guys watching Skylar's house, obviously hoping Walt will show up, maybe also making sure she doesn't run. Skylar's smoking many cigarettes. She hears Holly crying, goes to check on her, and there are a bunch of men in ski masks who will soon figure out are Todd, Kenny, etc. Skylar assures them Junior isn't home. He's been sleeping at his friend's house all week. Todd says he has a lot of respect for her husband. He's there to make sure Skylar hasn't said anything about Lydia and won't say anything. Todd creepily puts a hand on her shoulder, says Skylar really doesn't want them having to come back, and they leave, and Skylar hugs the baby. Uh, So Skylar was wrong about someone knocking on her door one day. Instead, someone snuck in her baby's window. This is the kind of stuff I would never think of if I was in the writer's room, that Skylar having met Lydia is a loose end to tie up, Uh, but I guess it did need to be addressed. Uh, Comments? Yeah, it didn't need to be addressed, but this is so, I don't think, I think this is clumsy. It wouldn't occur to the cops to watch the back of the house. Like <laughs> right. Walt would come in the front of the house, but he wouldn't go in the back door. Come right. on. Really? Yeah, I, I, I had the same <laughs> thought. Definite suspension of disbelief that these guys yeah. are sneaking in there undetected. Absolutely. And just walking around the baby's room <laughs> and looking at the baby, hoping Skylar comes in the room. How long were they there? We don't know. Any, this is, it's just a very clumsy scene. I understand why it had to occur. Mm-hmm. And Todd scares the fucking piss out of me even more with that ski mask on. <laughs> yeah, Holy you're shit. right. He's an eerie motherfucker with it off, but with it on and that voice. Wow, he's fucking scary. Um, uh, I, uh, the scene started off with me uh, 
holding back uh, or dry heaving because we got to see uh, Skanda's big bony feet. Uh, she's smoking away, right? Uh, but again, this is a again. I, I recognize why this scene had to happen, and it certainly um, amped up the drama. Uh, but it's, it's clumsily handled. Again, the cops are clearly. You think they'd have the house surrounded, or has right. cops in there with Scott, or at least, right? Right. Like in case what calls, right? But no, they're sitting outside in a car watching just the front of the house. There's a whole bunch of guys in there that they don't see. But okay, I get it. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I'm glad you mentioned how creepy Todd is, um, because. I have to say, in my previous two times watching the whole series, I don't think I fully appreciated Todd as a villain. Um, He's certainly not an iconic villain like Gus Fring, obviously. But it's really hitting me this time around that he's an effective, low-key, creepy bad guy. Sort of of a a bit of a poor man's Gus in that same sort of mold of, like, doesn't seem like a a bad guy on the surface, but then... uh, uh, you realize just because he has ha- has a certain kind of outward look, that doesn't mean he's not a complete sociopath. Yeah, I think he, in terms of uh, being creepy, he he's off the charts. The way he blows Gus away. Right, Gus wasn't creepy. He was. No, ju- not I at just, all. I just, the, sim- the right. similarity between them is just that. I mean, if you just saw them walking you down the street, them. you right. wouldn't think right. they're bad. Exactly. Guy. Right. Right, but the uh, juxtaposition of uh, uh, Todd's cruelty. And um, his politeness and his speaking manner is so um, alarming mm-hmm. and so arresting. It, it adds to the creepiness. It yep. really He's a very, very good uh, villain. Yep. All right. Uh, well, next we see uh, Todd dressed all preppy, drinking tea, waiting for Lydia at the restaurant. Uh, more a cafe than a diner this time. Yep. Uh, Lydia sits back to back with Todd. Uh, she needs more stevia. He catches her up on his visit to Skylar's house, and Lydia isn't satisfied with a message being sent to Skylar, but Todd seems confident that he put enough of a scare into her. Lydia says they're going to have to take a break from doing business together, but Todd gets her attention when he says his current batch of meth is 92% pure, and it's blue. She wonders if Walt is cooking with him. He says, next best thing, Pinkman. Todd thinks he and Lydia, quote, work together good, uh, she's, she's horned up about the 92%, uh, and he creepily picks a thread off of her jacket. Comments? Yeah, that was, that was a nice, um, subtle touch at the end. Cause unless you're really watching him, you don't, you're not going to see that. Right. So that was a nice touch at the end to have him, uh, do that. And because they're back to back, she doesn't really notice it or, um, you know, freak out about it, I guess. Right. Um, and it's, and it's just yeah. kind of funny in the way that she's so cautious and, to, to act like they're not even having a right, conversation. Right. And he, if someone was uh, watching them, he's actually like picking something off of her. Right. So, yeah. Right. Uh, it is funny that she's got a lady boner over 92%. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he's got a man boner over her. It shows she's got pretty bad taste in women, I think. <laughs> right. You know, for a sociopath. Right. <laughs> Sociopaths, I. In my experience, I have a much better taste in women than Todd does. Is that so? Okay. In my view, yes. Right. All the sociopaths out there. And I've known a few have much better taste in women than uh, than Todd does. Right. Um, but yeah, well, so she's got a lady boner over the 92%. He's got a, a boy boner over her. So we'll see how that works out. You you and Uncle Jack are really on the same page in terms of thinking that Todd could do better than, uh, than old Woodchip That's true. there. That's true. You're right. Okay. All right. Uh, now it's time to catch back up with Walt. He's climbing out of the tank of a propane truck. Apparently, this is how he was uncomfortably transported across the country. His hair is growing in a little. 
it's snowy where he is, and Ed says, Mr. Lambert, welcome to New Hampshire. Ed shows him around his crappy little cabin, a month's worth of food, wood-burning stove, no TV reception, but there are DVDs, two copies of Mr. Megorium's Wonder Emporium. Ed will, Ed will make a supply run next month. Walt can just let him know what he wants. Walt says $50,000 for a trip to Costco. Uh, I I doubt that means Walt only had to pay $50,000 to be disappeared. That seems low. I, yeah, it I'm does. Gu- I'm guessing what he meant is that he pays 50000 every month that the guy keeps coming back. Um, but it's but it's not made clear. It's a little confusing. Um, the guy says Walt is paying for risk. Walt asks where the phone is. No phone, because if someone from the phone company comes to make a service call, Walt gets seen. No internet, etc. Walt can't have any contact with the outside world. Ed will bring him the Albuquerque newspaper every month. Walt has business to conduct. Ed says, basically, do what you want, but my job is to keep you out of custody. Walt is the target of a nationwide manhunt. He's the hottest client he's ever had by far. If Walt wants to leave, there's a tiny town eight miles down the hill. But if Walt leaves the property, Ed's done with him. Uh, Ed is leaving, and he points out that this is a great place for a man to rest up and think on things. Of course, we know that's not really the Heisenberg way. Walt goes back inside, grabs a few bricks of money. We get the cheesy shot of him putting on his Heisenberg hat. Um, Though I think it's meant to be ironically cheesy based on how not badass he's uh, about to ultimately be. Um, But anyway, he marches up to the gate, thinks about the eight-mile walk in the snow, and says to himself, tomorrow, and heads back inside and starts up the stove. Uh, so uh, thoughts on this dismal arrangement for Walt. All right. So, yeah, this was a, f- a fun scene and a very strong one. Uh, I became uh, forever a fan of uh, Ed mm-hmm. when after uh, he tells Walt what movies are available on DVDs and Walt reacts negatively, uh, Ed says, I'm not much of a movie guy. <laughs> right. Thought, that thought is my like kind that. of motherfucker. I gotta hang with this guy. <laughs> Not much of a movie guy. Uh, so I enjoyed that, and it's a good scene. Um, we know, of course, that uh, not only because we know uh, this character, and also because of the teaser that opened the season, we know that uh, Walt is not going to stay there long. Right. But we also know that he's being um, hampered by his cancer now, mm-hmm. uh, to a large degree. Um, but this is a very good scene and a very strong scene. Uh, you mentioned the part uh, uh, when Walt puts on the Heisenberg hat. And uh, I've talked before about how I think that's kind of a cheesy and uh, overwrought uh, move and overly symbolic. And I, I felt like that, especially when uh, he put the hat on and gets ready to leave uh, and goes to the gate. We should have started hearing the Rocky theme playing. Um, but it was a nice touch that he um, that he uh, kind of wusses out there and uh, says tomorrow, which is interesting because that's what I say every time I think about flossing. Um, <laughs> uh, but that was a nice touch. We see, again, that uh, the cancer, I think, um, and m- maybe the events, too, and all the, the uh, chaos and the havoc that he's caused are have uh, broken Walton down to the point where he can't be Heisenberg, at least not yet. Right. And you can see in that moment why he would just say, I just need I Fuck just it. need yeah. another day yeah. initially that, you know, he 
just had this long cross-country drive sitting inside of a propane not, tank, you know, that it no, would make sense. it's supposed to be more than that, though, isn't it? It's supposed to be more than that. Though. Well, right. Propane. I mean, that's obviously, you know, we, we later see that he hasn't gone anywhere. But I think right, th- right. I think initially he was saying to himself, I'm I'm kind of wiped out. Uh you know, I'm, let me let me let me go back inside and, and try this again tomorrow. But then we're able to later conclude that uh, by by tomorrow he decided to push it back another day, or decided can't do this at all. That you know, an, an eight mile walk in the snow for a guy uh, with the cancer is uh, is no easy task, I guess. Um, but you know, it was just basically like the sort of headstrong Heisenberg badass. He's going to go do this, and at some point in there, uh, Walter Walter White crept into his mind and said. Don't be an idiot. Go back inside. You're, you're, you you can't do this. Right, right. And yeah, I think that it was – yeah, you see – as you said, and I hate to be a prick about this, but as you said, we find out that it takes a long time for him to go do it. But I think it's more than just that day he's too tired. I think it's supposed to mean that he can't summon what he has to. So you think when he's saying tomorrow that he doesn't even believe he's going to do it tomorrow? In exactly. That, in that moment. Okay. Or like, or that he thinks, um, he believes he might be able to, but deep down he knows he can't, that he okay. won't, that some time has to pass. And okay. maybe, and maybe I'm thinking at that point that maybe he thinks deep down that he never will. Like he's lying to himself when he says tomorrow. No, we, we see what ultimately happens here. But I think at that point he doesn't, he doesn't, we don't know, or he doesn't know if he's ever going to get up past that gate. Right. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, shit's about to get dark. Uh, e- even by the standards of how dark this show has gotten, it's oh, about yeah. to get really fucking awful. We yep. see Jesse's handcuffs on the floor. He's standing on a bucket on top of a blanket, trying to reach for the bars above him when he hears voices coming, so he quickly dismounts. Uh, Todd finds Jesse pretending to sleep. He gives Jesse some Ben and Jerry's. Uh, by the way, shout out to Ben and Jerry's for making excellent dairy-free ice cream. My fellow lactose intolerant Americans and I, thank you, Ben and Jerry's. Uh, anyway, Todd praises Jesse for cooking a batch of 96% pure meth. Wow, 96. Yeah, not bad. Uh, so this is his reward. Uh, as Todd leaves, Jesse asks him to leave the tarp off. It'll be cold, but he wants to look at the stars. And the action music kicks in. Jesse's repicking his locks. He sets up his makeshift step stool, steadies himself, and jumps up and grabs the bars. He undoes the latch, cut to him running across the property. He stops along a wall, looks at the fence with barbed wire on top of it. And as he runs for it, we see that there's a security camera that can see him. And sure enough, Jesse gets halfway up the fence before he's surrounded by Nazis with guns. He screams, Do it! Do it! Just kill me now and get it over with because there's no way I'm doing one more cook for you psycho fucks! So, before we get to Jesse's punishment, uh, give me your thoughts on this little action sequence. And did you at any point think he was either going to escape or get killed here? Uh, I did not think he was going to get killed, but interestingly... I was like, uh, when he was MacGyvering, uh, <laughs> MacGyvering the handcuffs with the paperclip, I said, okay, here's Jesse's big escape scene. Okay. And they, uh, you know, the, the director uh, did a good job of making us sweat out whether he would even get out of the pit, right? Right. But he got out, and uh, I said, okay. Now, like, I was being kind of uh, a smart ass saying to my wife, oh, here's his big escape scene. Here we go. And, uh, and for, for the first time, she said, he doesn't get out. 
Hmm. He doesn't. He doesn't escape. And I said, "Oh, you motherfucker! You had to ruin it for me." <laughs> like, like you mean like she knew because yes. of what she actually knew, right. not right. that she was like guessing. She no, like actually she, spoiled something she knew. for you, right? Exactly. I said, "You motherfucker! You had to ruin it, really." <laughs> <laughs> so she said, "You don't like him anyway." I said, "That's right." But shit, give me a little hope, motherfucker. <laughs> right. I'm, uh, I'm so, so that, I'm so glad that you are treating this series at least as a proper spoiler phobe would. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. I don't want to spoil. She and she, right. in fact, it's interesting. She said, "Wouldn't you? Doesn't it better? Isn't it better to know?" And I said, "No, I don't want to know until it happens." Right. Um, I wanted to enjoy, even though I am still pissed at Jesse, because I think he brought so much of this on himself and ruined oh, it for absolutely, absolutely. And when right. I, you know, when I mentioned, I guess it was an episode or two ago that we were talking about that and how I you know, spent the final weeks of this series constantly thinking through all the things he did to fuck himself yep. uh, that, you know, now that you've seen another couple episodes of how, of how dark it gets for him, yep. like yep. it was just constantly going through my mind. Oh, Jesse, yep. all you had to do was leave yep. town and yep. instead exactly. look at you, you're in a pit and, and yep. all this other stuff. Yeah. Right. You had a bag of five million in cash. You uh, take the chick and the white kid and you split. The white kid. Okay. That's all you had to do, but you had to be a dick. You had to fuck it up. Now look at you. Yep. Now look at you. You stupid fuck. Look at you now. So yeah, so what look at you now, you motherfucker. So um although I'm pissed at him for causing all this, I'm still kinda would like him to get away. Even though if he got away, I'd be like, oh, of course he gets away. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> he can't win with me, right? <laughs> oh, of course. He, let me guess. Walt comes and saves him. Uh, but, can't but, win with me, right? but so until, until your wife said something though, you did, you were starting to think, oh, he's actually getting out here. I was, I thought there was a chance. Okay. I wasn't sold on it, uh, but I thought there was a chance, but then right. she said no. And then I, but then you gotta, you gotta know my wife. I'm thinking she's bullshitting me. She's fucking with me. He is going to go to get away. And she's telling me that because he is. And she doesn't want me to know. Right. right? Okay. But no, she was telling me the truth. <laughs> and uh, so I was bummed when he got caught. Uh, right. But, but it uh, couldn't It couldn't have been that long of a gap between when she no. spoiled it for you and no, when, no. and no, when, no, 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 right, <laughs> when we see the camera and you know he's fucked. Like right. really I, before, you know, once we see the right. camera, we know he's probably right. not making it. So, yeah. Of course. But you know how quick your mind moves in right. these situations for right. like a long time. But, um. Yeah, so right. she blew that one for me, but she, uh, she's not gonna. Again, she doesn't. She has no real interest in spoiling the end for me, other than that one moment, that one scene. Right. Okay. And I wonder if she knew about the next scene because when, uh, you know, when was it, it's your your niece and uh, yes. my and, niece and, and, Ky- and Kyle so. who uh, who told her stuff. I wonder whether they went so far down as to like tell her the fate of a character like Andrea. You know I don't think they did, but I think that she is probably just asked about certain characters. I don't right. think she would have included that character in right. her inquiry. Right. So maybe, so maybe she still was uh, properly uh, surprised by this next scene, which yeah, is a was. scene that's as hard as as hard to watch as any in the series. You're filled with dread the whole time. From the second Todd rings Andrea's doorbell, she opens the door. He says he's a friend of Jesse's. Andrea asks how Jesse is. Todd says Jesse's right outside in the truck. Andrea steps out to get a look. Todd looks around inside to make sure nobody's there, and we cut to Jesse freaking out inside the truck, banging his head against the window. Todd says, just so you know, this isn't personal, and just shoots her right in the back of the head. And Jesse's in the truck, howling, crying. Jack tells him to settle down and says, hey, remember, there's still a kid. Just brutal, just awful to watch because Andrea is a total innocent. Uh, Her death, I think, hits differently than most others on the show. And somehow, 
Jesse's life just keeps getting worse. Uh, and obviously, Jesse's not impregnating her with Brock the Second. Sorry to say, Bill. <laughs> You're absolutely right. <laughs> uh, comments beyond that? Yeah, this was hard. This was difficult. Uh, even though we didn't have a lot emotionally invested in, uh, is it Adrian? Andrea. Andrea. <laughs> you got Rocky on your mind. Exactly. Uh, now, I, you know what I have in my mind? Adriana. Because oh, okay. I was about to say, this felt like when, almost like when little Steven killed Adriana in The Sopranos. Remember? You don't yeah. remember. No, I okay. absolutely remember. I remember exactly okay. where and how that one happened. I'm just, okay. I was sort of pausing to co- contemplate whether they're, they're comparable, other than the fact that they're women characters oh, getting shot. But, <laughs> well, <laughs> although we the, never see Adriana get shot. Right. Uh, we don't but, see her get shot, but right. the buildup is just excruciating for me watching that because she was a member of the family. Right. Right. Christopher's fucking girlfriend. Right. Right. Uh, so that was that was difficult and unexpected. I didn't expect Adriana to ever get killed in The Sopranos. So that was hard. Come on. No, no, come please. On. Please. Please. Come on. Come on. I, just, I sort of remember it as something that people saw coming, I thought. Really? Well, I did Or may, okay. maybe it was one of those things they were they were setting you, you know, making it clear that she had to go. But I guess that maybe you would still sort of be like, well, they're not going to kill off her. Right. Even, right, even right. they're just making it look like they might. Uh, so maybe I could see that perspective. But it was, it was I, if I remember right, it was like something that like the whole week leading up to that, like something from the previous episode that people were talking about, is Adriana going to get killed or, or whatever? Whereas the Andrea death comes like pretty much out of nowhere. Um, yeah, it kind of does. But either way, and maybe it's because they were both um, women who were ancillary, right. right, to the plot and had done nothing wrong and really uh, hadn't betrayed anybody. And we're just um, plot devices. And I, I don't want to say plot devices for the for the writers. I want to say um, uh, pawns, I should say. Sure. For sure. the villains in these shows. And maybe that's what it is. They were um, innocent women who were pawns for the villains in this show. And, and that uh, it struck me. Um, on the other hand, um, being shot unexpectedly in the back of the head is a fucking great way to go. <laughs> I should have known you were going to make the case for this. It's true. It's the absolute best way to, what better way? She did not see a thing coming. Right. One minute she was there, next minute she was gone. Boom. Right. The worst part is for the people who cared about her, right? uh, Right, I guess. But, you know. In terms of uh, going out, that is the way to go. That is the way to go. No? Am I wrong? No, I agree, except I would say preferably much later in life. Um, but you're right. She does the fact that she doesn't have time to process no it. Right. She's just gone. But, right. and so you feel bad for her in the sense that she's missing out on however many years, but otherwise you're right. Just, be just anyway. from her, the perspective, <laughs> yeah, it was all downhill from here. Jesse's not around to give her money anymore. She's got this little white kid. She got to find a new father for. <laughs> he's really not white. He's really not white. Bill, despite his name. <laughs> but either way, that's it's a great way. It was a very sad thing. And again, it, it lent itself to the pure evil that Todd's character is. Yep. Um, after, uh, um, never mind. I was going to talk about the uh, banality of evil, which was a thing that came out of uh, the Nuremberg trials. But I don't know enough about the history of that phrase um, to talk about it. But um, this 
it's so chill, what's so chilling about Todd is he could say so clearly, and you believe him when he says there's nothing personal, and then just blows the back of her head off. Right. There's something so chilly about that kind of chilling, not chilly, about that kind of uh, character. Right. But again, not the the best possible way to go out is to get shot back in the head, shot in the back of the head unexpectedly. Okay, I I, I get what you're saying, but you know. Better better scenario is not to go out at all. Of course. Okay. (laughs) Probably. All right. (laughs) Probably. Probably. Okay. Right. (laughs) Okay. So uh, we go from Jesse's miserable existence to Walt's. Uh, He has the full beard. Uh, Some time has passed. We will later deduce uh, probably at least three months or so, since it seems based on their conversation like Ed has visited at least a couple of times already. Uh, Anyway, Walt's standing by the gate in his parka, so excited when Ed arrives, like a dog when its owner comes home. Uh, Ed has newspapers. Walt takes off his hat and jacket. I think his wig, if it's a wig, looks pretty good in these scenes, but the sides of the beard looked kind of fake to me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Ed brought some insure to put some weight on Walt. Uh, Walt needs reading glasses. Ed brought various prescriptions. Walt asked for the update on his family. They're living in some crappy place. Skylar still has the kids. She has a part-time taxi dispatch job. Ed saw her shopping. She looks pretty good. She's using her maiden name, uh, which uh, we know is Lambert. So she and Walt are actually using the same name. Yeah, uh, that's interesting. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Walt's house is up for auction. They put a, a fence up around it because it's become an attraction for kids wanting to break in, which we already know from the flash forward at the start of the season. Right. Ed sets up to do some amateur chemo with Walt. Walt says he'll put the needle in. Then he pussies out, tells Ed, you just do it. Uh, (laughs) Nice. uh, Ed's getting ready to leave, and Walt offers him $10,000 to stay for two more hours. Ed negotiates down to one hour. Ed gets out the playing cards. I believe they're playing seven-card stud poker, although without chips, which is a little odd. Uh, Ed will deal because Walt is encumbered, to use the word you used earlier. Walt says, One of these days when you come up here... He wants to know what happens to the rest of his money. Can Ed give it to his family? And Ed says, If I said yes, would you believe me? Ed deals the cards, two kings, more symbolism along the lines of the king in the chess game last week. Anyway, really sad moment for Walt. He can't get the money to his family. He's paying an obscene amount for an hour of human contact. Comments? Yeah, this is a really powerful scene. Um, is he giving Walt chemo? Yeah, that's that's uh, what I believe okay. that bag. Yeah, yeah. I, I figured that. I would. I guess it's a small thing, but I would wonder how he's getting his hands on chemo uh, medicine. But mm. again, it's a small thing. But um, sure he I'm knows a guy about, who knows a guy. Of course. Uh, don't we all know a guy who knows a guy where you can get chemo <laughs> on a black market? Right. <laughs> no questions asked. <laughs> I know dozens of those guys. Yeah. But uh, my cousin's a chemo guy. <laughs> Make one call, get you the chemo. <laughs> I, was, I was specifically doing uh, the gum George guy in, in the Bubble Boy episode. My cousin's in a bubble. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought you were doing the because it says George talking to Mrs. Sokol at the unemployment office in the Keith Hernandez right, episode. Right. You like gum? I know a gum guy. One call, I got you. <laughs> no, he says yeah. he uh, when he's all uncomfortable talking to the bubble boy. And right. uh, what are you looking at? Oh, I got lots of bubble experience. My cousin's in a bubble. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> in a bubble. <laughs> I was waiting for you to do that line. <laughs> anyway. Uh, 
And that also made me think if he's getting chemo, why is his hair growing back, even if it looks kind of shaggy, but still. Uh, those two uh, little quibbles are notwithstanding. This is a powerful scene about how the mighty have fallen mm-hmm. and how far uh, Heisenberg has fallen. He's willing to pay a guy 10 grand to sit with him for an hour. Wow. Yeah, I'd pay by ten. I'd pay a guy ten grand to leave me alone for an hour. <laughs> in in a way, Walt's living up in this cabin is really your dream, isn't it? <laughs> kind of is. No movies. No movies. Alone, no people. Funny. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But uh, yeah, this is a pretty powerful scene. Yep. And uh, good acting on, on on both sides with uh, Ed, my new my new hero, and. Uh, <laughs> Am I, am I going to find out when we're done here that your favorite character in the whole 62 episodes <laughs> was this guy from one episode near the end? Good bit. Okay. Good bit. All right. <laughs> um, so then we cut to Walt alone at night. Maybe it's that same night. Maybe more time yeah. has passed. We're not sure. We see he has newspaper clippings on the wall. And his ring falls off as he coughs. That's how thin he's gotten. Uh, at least he's wearing long johns and not tidy whities You had to appreciate exactly. that. Thank Christ for long johns. <laughs> um, he turns his ring into a necklace, looks at the boxes of insure, and gets an idea. He empties out a box and fills it with money. Then we see him trudging up to the gate with his box wrapped in brown paper. He opens the gate, looks at the snowy road ahead of him, and heads out down the road, making the eight-mile trek. Comments? Uh, yeah, this is a good scene. We knew it was coming eventually, right? That he'd get off, that he'd get out of there. This whole kind of this thing, counter this whole uh, time that he's been in the cabin and debating whether to leave, kind of reminded me of uh, that Tom Hanks movie where the guy stranded on the island. Castaway, yeah. yeah kind of reminded me of that. Um, and yeah, you're uh, right, because that character I, is like he wants to leave, but he's sort of he tries a couple times and realizes right, he can't right. get off of there, and then he kind and then he's just resigned to it until he's sort of figures out the math of, well, if I make this one try, it's live or, live or die, but I may as right. well go for it. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of the same thing, which is yeah. also, which is a, and his movie was a ripoff of, uh, wow, that, that ancient story. And I, I can't even, I can't believe I'm not going to remember the name of the book now. Robinson about the guy, Caruso? Robertson Caruso. Yes. Thank you. Which yes. I read as a kid and has stuck with me all these years. Uh, hmm. so yeah, stranded was a ripoff of Robertson Caruso. Cast and away, you mean. Or, or, yeah, what did I say? Stranded. Stranded. <laughs> yeah, just making up movies. Yeah, I'm sure there's a movie called Stranded. I guarantee it. And, it, and, it, and it has Stranded. a character named Adrian. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> she get and she gets bumped off by someone named uh, Adriana and Ed. But anyway. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. So Robinson Crusoe stayed with me many years, and so uh, Castaway was a kind of ripoff of Robinson Crusoe, and I don't know if this is a ripoff of Castaway, but it's along those lines. It feels similarly, doesn't it? Yeah, no, it's a good. I hadn't, thought, I hadn't thought of it at all, but it's a, it's a good comparison. Yeah, it is, and in a way, you know, Walt is on an island. He's certainly all by himself on an island, and he's got to uh, gather his courage to try to get off of it. And uh, when he does that, boy, do things go bad. Indeed, because uh, we cut to Junior taking a test. Uh, there's a call over the loudspeaker for Flynn White to come to the principal's office, and Flynn. huge moment for our bangability rankings. How there's Principal it? Carmen. Looking Damn, ravishing right as ever. Absolutely right. So far. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, she tells Junior he has a call from his Aunt Marie. She can get some. <laughs> Principal Carmen can get some. You'll throw her a bone? Yeah. How nice of you. Yeah. How generous. How very generous. I'm a, I'm a helper that way. <laughs> um, so she tells Junior he has a call from his Aunt Marie, and it sounds important. She gives him the phone and leaves him alone. But on the other end of the line 
is some lady at the bar in New Hampshire. Walt gives her some money and takes the phone. He starts telling Junior not to let on that it's him calling. Walt almost starts lamplying up the second he hears Junior's voice. Yep. Walt's trying to speak his piece about what he did and why, but then he stops and says they don't have much time on the phone. He needs to confirm Lewis's address. Walt says he's sending a package addressed to Lewis. It's about $100,000. That's all Walt could fit into the box. And just a heartbreaking line. I wanted to give you so much more. Junior's not really responding. And then finally he unleashes on his dad. You killed Uncle Hank. You killed him. He calls Walt an asshole, says, I don't want anything from you. I don't give a shit. And Walt's muttering uh, on the other end about how it can't all be for nothing. Junior's screaming at him. Principal Carmen and another woman are at the door hearing the commotion. And Junior says, why are you still alive? And he says, just die already and hangs up the phone. And your heart just breaks for Walt, even though he really doesn't deserve anyone's sympathy, of course. Um, I think Junior was actually pretty good in this scene. Not sure if you agree. Give me your thoughts. First of all, I hate him. I not only hate him, I don't really hate the actor for his bad acting, but I hate the character for doing this. Okay. Uh, first of all, when he when he kill, when he yells, "You killed Uncle Hank!" I'm yelling at the TV. It's Uncle Hank Frank. Shit, shit, get it right. <laughs> right. Learn your dead uncle's name. <laughs> it's Uncle Hank Frank. Bastard. And uh, and his allegiance should be to his father, not to dead Uncle Hank Frank. Really. In my really. Opinion. Yes. You Absolutely. think knowing yes. what he believes he knows uh, about, about what true. went down. Well, yep. if, if, but he, even he thinks that his dad killed Uncle Hank, which is not true. Well, he's right, but essentially. He got he him did. killed. He got him right. killed. It's, but it, it's he close didn't. enough, yeah. yeah. All right. But I, I don't think yeah, that's it's... what Junior thinks. I think Junior actually thinks that his dad killed Hank uh, at, in order and, and got away. That's okay. I don't. And and if you think that, if first of all, your mm-hmm. your whole family's life is real. like you see your mom right. miserable and you realize how tortured she was by all of oh, this. <laughs> well, and, and, and again, she's playing the role of victim when we know she was uh, right. not entirely right. a victim. But knowing in Junior's shoes, what he thinks is the case, I think it is. He's absolutely correct to tell his dad, fuck off, die. I, I don't want to talk to you. The only th- thing the only scene that gives uh junior just justification uh for acting this way is the scene in which uh walt and skylar are wrestling around wrestling around on the floor with the knife which is one of the their, which was their last time together right uh-huh. um so you can make the case on that basis but uh, but for all the other things that have happened no junior's allegiance should be to his father not uncle dead uncle hank frank Fuck that. When Junior's 80 years old and about to die, mm-hmm. he's going to be thinking about his father, not Uncle Hank Frank. Right? Uh, I, I'm pissed off at Junior for this. His father's calling him, all broken up, giving him money, saying he did this all for him. All for him! And Horseface. <laughs> right. Um, I think his, I think his, I think Junior's being a total dickhead here. Oh, I, I, I disagree completely. And yes, he may be thinking of his father and not Uncle Hank Frank when he's dying, um, but that doesn't change the fact that, uh, based on everything he knows, Uncle Uncle Hank Frank was was doing the right thing and got killed because of his criminal asshole father who ruined the lives <laughs> of everyone he came in contact with. There, there <laughs> is. He- there is no reason for Junior to still have allegiance to his father. If he knew 
all the truth, maybe, if he knew that Hank Frank got killed in part by circumstances. I keep calling now I'm calling him Hank Frank, damn you. Um, that <laughs> Hank got killed in part by circumstances. That it was there was no intention from Walt to have Hank die, but Junior doesn't know that. But if if he knew that, and if he knew all along how Walt really, uh, you know, was doing it all for his family, maybe he'd have a little allegiance to him. But even so, you can't stand by the guy just because he's your dad. If he bought him that hot fucking car. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) that's that's a good point. You know what? You're right. Okay, I take it all back. (laughs) No, seriously, I was pissed off at, and maybe I'm I'm biased against uh, Junior anyway because he's an annoying douche who can't act. But I thought his acting was uh, serviceable in this scene because okay. all I had to do was like freak out, right? Right, right, and scream and yell. Uh, he's he's, he's but, better. Uh, he's definitely better at at being pissed off uh, yeah, than yeah. than he is at being whatever emotion he was supposed to be conveying when his mom was telling him the news. It's really, (laughs) for me, it's just that, that one scene is, I guess a few other that, that weren't great, but that, that's the only scene, the one from Ozymandias where he's finding out the truth and calling bullshit on his mom and the whole thing where I think he's flat out awful, but whatever. Right. Either way, I can't be entirely alone. This is this is uh, time for a poll, another breaking uh, bill poll. Okay. 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 So sh- uh, should Junior be pissed Junior at his dad? Junior justified and pissed off at his dad, or should he be allegiant? Uh, should he should he have some allegiance toward his dad still? Who should, is calling him, risking everything to give him money, and who right. started this process just to give him a good life? Right. Okay. This this whole criminal enterprise, yes. Right. <laughs> what choice did he have? What choice? What got a little out of hand, so what? <laughs> <laughs> he, he had the choice to take money from uh, Elliot and uh, and Gretchen when they were offering to uh, hire him and pay his health insurance. Yeah, I know, that was a bad move. <laughs> <laughs> I know, we talked about it a long time ago. I remember saying right. that was stupid. <laughs> right. Of course, of course, there would be no Breaking Bad if he had just said Exactly. Can you imagine right. it ends in episode five? Yeah, he killed a guy <laughs> with a bike lock and cooked one batch of meth, but otherwise he decides, okay, you know what, I'll just get the good health insurance. And you're still like, best show ever. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they introduce this character who uh, is a meth kingpin who works, uh, who owns uh, Los Poyos Hermanos and has no connection to our main character. But, you exactly. Know, yeah. All right. Um, anything else? Junior's, uh... a dick. Junior is a dick. Okay. Stone Cold dick for treating his father like that. All right. I disagree, but we, we, we have to move on. We're out of time on the debating whether Junior is a dick. <laughs> um, okay. So Walt is out of ideas. He's had the fight beaten out of him. He finally sees the wisdom in Saul's advice. He's ready to surrender and hopefully improve his family's situation a little bit. He calls the Albuquerque DEA and asks to speak to the agent in charge of the Walter White investigation. They ask who's calling. He says Walter White and just lets the phone hang there so they can trace the call. He walks up to the bar and orders a drink. Dimple pinch. Neat. Walt has a little sip. Bartender starts flipping through the TV channels. And Walt sees something and tells him to go back. It's Gretchen and Elliot on the Charlie Rose show. Uh, put Gretchen in the bangability rankings, too. It's heating up a little bit. Yeah, a little um, bit. <laughs> not as exciting as Carmen, obviously. No. But, um, so uh, future hashtag MeToo outed sexual harasser Charlie Rose uh, talks about their charitable contribution to drug treatment centers. Says there was a New York Times column suggesting it was just a PR move to help the gray matter stock in light of their association with Walter White. 
Right. Uh, Elliot says Walt really had nothing to do with the company's success. All he contributed was half the name. Walt, Walt's getting angry. George is getting upset! Uh, <laughs> and Charlie Rose is talking about how the blue meth is out there in the Southwest and in Europe. So maybe Walt is still cooking. And Gretchen says Walter White is not still out there. She clarifies. She can't say whether this Heisenberg is out there. But the Walter White she once knew is gone. And Walt just has a pissed off look on his face. We cut to cop cars pulling up outside. The police bust into the bar looking for Walt. And we pan over to his seat and just see the shot glass sitting there as, for the first time in the series, outside the opening title card, the Breaking Bad theme music plays. Could come off as a bit of a corny ending, but it worked on me. Got me fired up for the finale. What did you think? That's exactly where they sort of played the Rocky music. Right. Should have put the Rocky music right there as the screen fades when Walt's all pissed off looking at the TV. That, <laughs> that would have been, been funny if instead of the Breaking Bad theme, <laughs> if the actual Rocky music came on there. <laughs> but you're right. Certainly the, the spirit of it uh, fits yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That would have been fun. And uh, this is cool. It, 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 it takes us exactly to, of course, a perfect symmetry here. It leads to uh, the opening, the teaser in the opening of the season. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. And, uh, and Walt, I can only imagine at this point, it's like, fuck it, I'm killing every motherfucker I see. <laughs> all you right. motherfuckers, you better line up, motherfuckers, because I'm shooting all your asses. He's going to kill the fucking... <laughs> I'm killing every motherfucker. Um, and I, I hope that he goes after Elliot and what's her face, too? What's her name? Gretchen? Gretchen, yeah. That's an ugliest name for a girl ever. It is. It's a bad it's a name. It's awful. Oh. Yeah. Tough, to be, tough to be hot with the name Gretchen. No shit. I, it's got to be German. Or yeah, I don't know, Scandinavian like or something. Yeah. yeah. It's an ugly-ass name for a chick. It is. Um, but, uh, yeah, I hope he gets them too. I suspect not. He's going to go on after, uh, Jack and his boys. Right. Mm-hmm. And maybe, uh, try to save Jesse one last time, uh, so they can make out in the final scene. That'll be the whole point of the movie. <laughs> the whole point of the series. <laughs> <laughs> just a, just a gay love scene, a little broke back mountain action between Walt and exactly Jesse in right. the end. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. No, Mr. White's gay for me. Everyone knows that. Uh, All right. No spoilers. I'm not going to say. <laughs> but uh yeah that's so he's gonna just go shit ape uh crazy which has got to be very liberating to say fuck it these guys that fucking snap it just i'm gonna shoot everybody mm. these guys are fucking scumbags right but I, I get how liberating that must be fuck it i'm done <laughs> right. give me that fucking gun give me a lot of fucking bullets motherfuckers i'm gonna sh- i'm taking everybody out this motherfucker <laughs> that's got to be so liberating uh and i guess that's where walt is now so good for him and again this is this is why uh the bones to this story are so good. I've had quibbles along the way, mm-hmm. but the bones of this story is so are so good because we've got a guy who, at this point, is dying anyway, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think I don't think uh, Ed the vacuum disappear guy is expert at administering chemo, <laughs> right? <laughs> no, to, we, to we, should, we should not <laughs> assume that Walt uh, Walt's kicking cancer again. Right, here, exactly, right. and and so that's great. All of this has brought us to this point where he really has nothing to lose, right. you know, and and. You could say in the beginning of the series, you know, he's doing this because he has nothing to lose. He's dying of cancer. But now he really has nothing to lose. Right. He's fucked no matter what. Right. right. He had plenty to lose before. His normal, decent, boring life. And he lost that. Right. So even that's gone. Um, but now he's really got nothing to lose. So this time it's personal. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's going down in a blaze of glory. 
<laughs> exactly. Um, um, and so that I, was fun. Yeah, and I, I really like the the writing to have Walt's pride gnaw at him one last time. Oh, yeah, you know, yep. the same the same pride that we talked about uh, that he turned down Gretchen and Elliot's offer in right, the first place, right. and yep. of course, most famously, the pride that led him to keep Hank on his tail when Hank thought Gale was Heisenberg and Walt couldn't right, stand right. to see someone else get credit. So yeah, Gretchen and Elliot yep. giving him no credit for gray matter lights the fire in him again. You're absolutely right. And that brings up an, a good point about how these guys, uh, they, they had opportunities, both him and uh, uh, Jesse mm-hmm. had opportunities to do the right thing and just their ego or some uh, emotional um, uh, flaw kept them from escaping um, and saving themselves to some degree, right? They were right. The, the, the point you just mentioned with Walt's pride um, uh, coming into play when he could have uh, shielded himself by using uh, Gale. And uh, we already talked about Jesse. So, right. so they, they both had chances to make oh, things yeah. go right or at least better than they ended up. And right. uh, they're, they're human uh, characters who are flawed so he fucked it up. Yep, and here we are. And here we are. So any any predictions for the finale? Uh, other than that you just expect him to shoot everybody? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't, you know, I don't I don't know how it's going to end. I suspect that uh I don't I can I don't really want to say anything. I don't know. Okay. All I right. just so, I want to So here here's what I've got from you so far is, is is Walt shoots everybody and he makes out with Jesse in the end. <laughs> That's it's true. That's that's go, that's what you're going on record with, right? Yes, but that, I don't think any of those conflict with my uh, the things I predicted for this season. I actually uh, forget what your predictions <laughs> for this season were. Yeah, uh, it looks like uh, though one of the, one of the things I was fucking sure that he was going to bang uh, Marie. It looks like that's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I guess you're not going to know whether that happens or not. But I was certain of that. But I guess not. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Because I'm sure he's not going to shoot everybody and then, oh, stop to take a break and bang Marie. Like, that's going to be available, right? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, he's banging Marie. <laughs> it's not going to work I, out that I will say, I just I just opened up, uh, when when during the uh, award show, when you're doing your predictions, I jot them down uh, as you're saying them so that right. I can then uh, make some allusion to whether you're right or wrong uh, on any number of them here, here were your three, not, not the jokes, but the right, serious right. predictions were Marie gets custody of Holly, Andrea, okay. Andrea pregnant and, <laughs> and Skylar kills Walt. Those were, those oh, were your okay. three predictions for this. season. Okay. I could still see that last one. That might happen. But by, but originally, uh, way back, I predicted right. that Walt would uh, bang Marie, and I don't see it happening now. Yeah, we're running out of time on that one. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't that be great, though? He's shooting everybody, and then just Marie happens to walk over, and he puts the gun down and bangs her, and then picks up the gun and starts shooting everybody again. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> while, while banging her? <laughs> yes. Well, he's, he, he squirts and then starts shooting again. <laughs> oh, okay. So, <laughs> he, he can't be, like, shooting out of uh, both guns at once, so to speak. <laughs> I got to write one of these motherfuckers. I got to write a parody of <laughs> Yes. Breaking Bad. I can't wait to watch your Breaking Bad uh, <laughs> porno parody. <laughs> can't That'd wait. Be fun. Yeah. All right. Um, that's the end of the discussion. The rest of the episode is available to Patreon subscribers only, so go ahead and hit play on part two. Now, if you haven't subscribed yet, but you've somehow decided today is the day you're going to, <laughs> you can go to patreon.com slash breakingbillpodcast to get access. Thanks, everybody, for listening to part one.